Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So this morning, we are continuing our study in the book of Ephesians, chapter one. We've made it all the way to verse seven, and I think it's been nine weeks. So uh, we are blazing through. (laughs) And this morning we have been called redeemed. I mentioned last week, redemption is maybe my my ultimate favorite preaching topic. And, And because it's exciting for me to know that I've been redeemed, but it's also just exciting to talk about something that has been disused, something that has been damaged, something that has been worn down, seeing that restored to a healthy, productive life. Sometimes if I'm, I'm not careful, I can get caught up in the hype and the technicality of worship. There's, I don't know if you've ever taken a close look at the piano. There's a lot of buttons that you can push on on this piano up here. (laughs) There's a lot of buttons you can push in the, the soundboard. There's a lot of cables and cords that come out of here into this box over here, and it's so easy to get caught up in in that area that I can forget what it is that I'm actually doing. I'm worshiping the king. I'm declaring praise and love and and adoration to the one who is worthy of praise. I'm expressing gratitude for an undeserved gift that has been freely given, redemption. One definition of redemption is the trading of something that has little or no value for something that has value. Redemption is the transaction of an old dirty dollar bill for a beautiful piece of art. Redemption is found in the transformation of seemingly random garbage into something useful. Sometimes this this process can't even be seen. If I look at a piece of paper with a bunch of scribbles on it, how important is that really? How much value does that have? But if I told you that this was made by your child or or this was made by someone who you care about, all of a sudden there is value. And nothing happened to that piece of paper with the scribbles on it. Nothing like magically transformed it, but it just in your mind you know because of where it came from and because of what it is that it now has value. There's a reminder in there that we're not to despair, we're to have hope, that that we're no longer sentenced to live in the, the filth and squalor of our best efforts. We no longer have to try to be good enough, living in constant failure, living in fear of condemnation. We are no longer the sad creatures who were once roaming the earth with no hope and no future. We have a hope and a future. Each 
And every single one of us has been redeemed. And sometimes that process is hard to see, but Jesus Christ in his redemptive mercy has individually handpicked each one of us and has declared over us value. Jesus Christ calls us clean. He calls us worthy. He calls us to a fruitful life that is free from the dread that, that would haunt us, that would, would say that, no, you aren't any of those things. Jesus Christ has called us to joy. And in these callings, we see what redemption looks like. In these callings, we see what it means to be redeemed. We're able to lay down the, the chains of the, the things that bound us. We're given the right to step out of the shadows and to declare who we are. I have been redeemed and I am a child of the King. He has called me worthy of his love. And as such, I will call him worthy of my praise. We are redeemed. Sometimes in the, the midst of our brokenness and our surrender to God, we have times of doubt, we have times of struggle, times of hardship. Times where we wonder if our prayers are really being answered when love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and all of those fruits of the Spirit seem like they are so far out of reach. We don't really feel like we're walking in the Spirit at all. And it's during this time that we need to stop and remember the complete, the perfect, and amazing power of God's redemption. And that's what, what we get to think about this morning as we, we go through this series yet again of who am I? I am redeemed. Redemption is defined, as we said, as a, a, a repurchase, a rescue, or a deliverance, an atonement for, from guilt. At the very beginning in the, the book of Genesis, we see God's desire to rescue his people, God's desire to redeem his people through the, the giving of the law. And the, the level of grace that he shows his people that chose to walk away from him time after time after time after time. We've been redeemed by the, the power of Christ's suffering on a cross. And through that sacrifice, we see redemption overcome pain. We see redemption overcome sadness and sorrow. We just think about, it. I'm trading my sorrow. I'm trading my pain and my sickness, my hardship for joy. I'm trading my, my sickness for health, for life, for hope, for an eternity with Christ Jesus. Christ's redemption can bring all of those things to your life. Christ's redemption can bring hope to hopeless situations. 
1160 BC to 1100 BC, we find ourselves in, in the midst of the judges. This was a hard time. The, the time of the judges was a dark time for the nation of Israel. As we said, they made choice after choice after choice, just like we do, to step away from God's plan, to step away from their calling as to who they were called to be as a nation. And God would send judges to bring them back. Aren't you thrilled that God makes a way for you to come back? That after all of the stupid things that we do, and we do stupid things. <laughs> I like all the nods, yeah. Uh, after all of those stupid things that we do, God makes a way for us to come back. And, and even in this time, in 1100 BC, God makes a way for his people to come back. They would cry out to God and, and ask for his redemptive love. And it's in the midst of this cycle we see the, the story of redemption. It is the story. And I thought I had just preached about it, but I, I went back and I looked at how long ago. I, last time I talked about this was in 2016. <laughs> I said, well, we're due. We see this story of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi's husband and two sons are, are with her and they, they go to Moab. And they go there to escape a, a famine that is taking place in the land. Moab was, was not really a place that was friendly to Israel, but they went there anyway because that's where they had food. And when they go there, the first thing that happens is Naomi's husband dies. A little bit later on down the road, her, her two sons marry two Moabite women, one named Orpah and one named Ruth. And, and Naomi has this, this other family with her, but shortly after that, her two sons die. This is not a way you want to be in this time, in this culture. You do not want to be a widow. Well, nobody wants to be a widow, but you don't want to be a widow in this time because if you are, you don't get to hold your property. You don't get to hold any of your wealth. Everything goes away from you. You are the lowest of the low. In the meantime, God comes to the aid of his people in Israel. The famine that was there goes away. And, and Naomi says, well, we got we to gotta get out of here. This is, this is not sustainable for us to live this way. She says, I'm going to go. You guys aren't from here. You stay. Go on. See if you can find another husband. I'm sure it'll be fine. And Orpah, she leaves. And Ruth stays. Even after Naomi tells Ruth, no, you, just go on and do what, what you need to do to take care of yourself. Ruth stays and she rescues. And here we see our first example of redemption. Ruth stays and, and she rescues the situation. 
In Ruth 1, 16, it says, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped arguing. So Ruth and Naomi, two ladies, pack up and head back to Israel. They arrive in Bethlehem, and, and how do we get food? They don't have jobs. They don't, they don't know how to be a carpenter. They don't know how to go out and be a bricklayer. They don't know how to be a stonemason. They, they don't know how to do any specific trade. But the people of Israel have a, a tradition. They have a custom that allows for the, the widow and the poor and the beggar to, to go out into the field and to follow those that are, are threshing the grain, that are cutting down the grain, harvesting the grain, that allows them to go out and glean it and take it for their own. Boaz looks out over the field, the one who's, who owns the field that Ruth is, is gleaning from. He notices her and he takes favor on her. Why did he take favor on her? He took favor on her because he heard of everything that Naomi had done, or everything that Ruth had done for Naomi. Ruth's choice is being rewarded. And here we see our second example of God redeeming a situation. God redeems what to Ruth had to feel like a hopeless situation. She stepped into a situation that she had no idea how it was going to happen, but in the midst of that, God says, no, I have a plan. I have hope for your hopeless situation. And so Ruth stays in Boaz's field until the harvest is done. But Naomi, in the desire to make sure that Ruth is cared for, she, she kind of starts hatching a, a plan, a scheme. Ruth is to sneak into the, the threshing area where Boaz is sleeping, uncover his feet, and lay down at his feet. It's kind of weird. Just kind of like to think about what would I do if just I woke up and there's a random lady sleeping <laughs> at the bottom of my bed. That would be a little disconcerting. <laughs> Apparently Boaz wasn't too phased by it though. <laughs> Boaz wakes up. He sees Naomi and he puts his shawl over the top of her and he he knows what this means, that, that he, has, he is the kinsman redeemer. He is the one who has been called to redeem the, the family line, that is able to redeem the, the property that was owned by Naomi's family, that is able to restore the wealth of that family that was really up for grabs. And here we see this third example of redemption, where Boaz is redeeming a bloodline, that was completely lost 
that was previously dead. He's redeeming a family fortune that was previously lost. And Boaz agrees, and, and the two, they, they go get married, and they have children. And in having children, we see the fourth example of redemption, God's perfect plan being fulfilled when everything seems lost. And, and out of the line of this Moabite woman, who is an enemy of Israel, we see the, the line of David come. We see the line that, that births Jesus Christ come. The ultimate redemption. Why is this story so important? What, why does it even matter that this is in the Bible? This seems so minuscule. Why, why do we go from the creation of the world to the exodus of God's people out of captivity to then look at the life of one woman? This book was, was written from the point of view of Naomi. Every event related back to her. Her husband died. Her sons died. Her daughters-in-law are being asked to leave. She returns to Bethlehem. Her God, her relative Boaz, is the one who redeems. It's her land. And eventually it's, it's her line. This book gives a detailed account of a woman who is shown redemption in a hopeless situation. Naomi has been compared to a female version of Job. She lost everything. She lost her home. She lost her husband, her, her family, and even more than Job did as a woman, she lost her livelihood. At one point, she, she cries out in grief to God and says, I, I can't even be called Naomi anymore. I need to be called bitter. God has, has dealt harshly with me. You feel that way sometimes? Maybe in the, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship, you say, God has dealt harshly with me. And it feels that way. But church, what we see here is that God does not deal harshly with his family. He doesn't deal harshly with his children. Yes, there are terrible things that happen in this world. But even in the midst of that, God redeems. If you look at an aluminum can, and an aluminum can starts out as a, a clump of metal buried in the ground somewhere. It gets dug up by somebody at a aluminum mine. Eventually all of that is, is shipped someplace where it's smelted down into sheets. Eventually from there it's, it's pressed into the shape of a can. It's filled with coke and it's put on the grocery store shelf. 
And you can look at that can and say, well, that is, that is the most that that bit of aluminum can hope to achieve in its life, in, in the span that it exists. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's the end. Somebody buys the, the six-pack of Coke off the shelf. They drink it. My dad and I used to recycle cans, and we would collect them from the grocery store at Marsh Market. And it's gross what people do with cans that they throw away. <laughs> Mike's nodding. <laughs> they, there's a lot of stuff that winds up in an aluminum can that should not be in an aluminum can. Is that the, the most that that can has to look forward to? Maybe. But maybe not. Maybe, maybe after that, that can has been pulled from the trash, maybe after all of the nasty stuff is dumped out of it, it's taken to a recycling plant where that, that aluminum is melted down. It's purified. It's strengthened. It is maybe sent off to some plant, some manufacturer, where, where they're making sheets of aluminum for something, where they're making aluminum for an aeronautic project. I did some research on the aluminum industry this week. Not something I typically do. Um, they use aluminum in spacecraft. And so... It's very possible that this can that maybe was only going to have the, the useful life of being something that somebody drank out of is now a part of a spacecraft that is leaving this earth, perhaps. As we look at our life, as we look at the hardships that we face, as we look at the difficulties, sometimes we ask, is this the best there is? And the short answer is nobody knows. Nobody knows if this is the best there is. If this is the best there is, then we have eternity with Christ to look forward to, and that is the best there is. But church, there is never anyone else that can say this is the end of your story. You can bet that Naomi was looking at her life and she was saying, is this the best there is? Is this really the best there is? I'm in a foreign land. My sons have died. My husband has died. There is nothing for me. She's crying out to God, is this the best there is? And God says, you are redeemed. And even though you can't see it, I am working things together for your good. It's an interesting scripture that gets misquoted frequently. The misquote is all things work together for good. And you want to hit the person when they say it. It says God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And we know 
that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Bad things happen. Painful things happen. Things we don't understand. Things that don't seem fair happen. But God can redeem. So often we we struggle for the fix on our own when we really are at a point where it's time to give up control. It's time to say, God, I, I have no ability on my own to fix this thing. It's time for you to work these things together. When there's a hole in a tapestry, the way that they would fix the hole in the tapestry is they would hang it up on the loom and and the the craftsperson would would go to that hole and they would pull the threads and they would, would tie them in a knot in the back so it was filling that hole. It would be pulled together until that hole was filled, until you could look at it and never know that there was a hole there in the first place. There's a quote that I found that says that God paints with dark colors too. That doesn't mean that that God caused hardship in your life. It doesn't mean that that God wanted the death of a family member, that God wanted that thing that is hurting you right now, but it means that God can use that to bring about greatness. God can use that to bring about amazing things in your life. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross more than 2,000 years ago, is more than enough to redeem each and every person in this room and each of the mistakes that we have made. And it's more than enough to redeem the seemingly hopeless situations in our lives and the lives of the people that we love. So often we, we pray in these situations that we find ourselves in. And I know if we all stop for a moment, we will we'll find that situation that exists in our life. We all have something that we're thinking about right now. So often we pray that, that God will work in a situation, that he will bring healing or that he will influence and bring about a specific outcome. And when it doesn't seem like our prayers are being answered the way that we would really like, we begin to lose hope. It can be discouraging. But it's during those times of discouragement, it's during those times of hopelessness that we can cry out to God. God, let your redemption win in my life. Give me hope, even though there is no reason for me to have any. Give me faith to understand that even though I don't see the result that my human eyes want to see, your will is being done in this situation, that I am being redeemed.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. That blood that speaks a better word. It speaks a better word than all of the accusations that would come my way saying, do you know who you are? Do you even know what you've done? How can you even expect to exist in the presence of God? But those things have been done away with. Those things have been handled through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on a cross. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never made a choice. You have never made the decision to say, God, I accept the redemptive work of the cross in my life. I accept the sacrifice that was made for me that, that pulls me out of the mud puddle of my best efforts and calls me a child of the king. Maybe you haven't made that choice. We don't embarrass people here. We don't call people out. We don't, we don't make you do anything that you don't want to do. But if that's you this morning, with every eye closed, with every head bowed, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. And if you want to make that decision to follow Christ, if you want to say, God, I am asking you to redeem the hopeless situations in my life. I am asking you to move and make yourself real in my life. I've tried to do things my own way. I've tried to do things the best way that I could, and I'm giving those things up, and I'm choosing to follow you. If that's you this morning, I invite you to lift your hand. God, we want to see redemption win in the lives of your children, in the lives of your people. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you have redeemed us, that you have called us redeemed. Lord, as we prepare to move from this place and and go out into the world where we face the, the struggles and the hardships that we know will come, help us to remember that we have hope because of who you are. We have hope because of what you have done. We have hope because we are redeemed. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 